It is time for us to begin our midday program here on a Tuesday. Scott in here with you. Thank you so much for joining us. The sun trying to work its way out across the state of Nebraska. It's uh, slow coming. Uh, but yesterday, you know, it wasn't supposed to rain all day, and it sort of kind of did that too. So we, we don't know what's happening. And, and if you turn to Susan Littlefield, who apparently is moved to a completely different state than the rest <laughs> of us, it's snowing there. What in the world is happening? I don't know. We didn't get any rain yesterday at all. Really? Not a drop. And I was out doing television, and it's like, what the heck? And there was <laughs> snow coming out of the sky. <sighs> it's that time of year. you know. Somebody it's... keeps shaking the globe, and they yeah. need to stop. <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely right. Well, what do you got for us today, Susan? Well, as guys continue to work on harvest, I can hear it going on in the background here. We're going to talk about the FSA County elections that are coming up. That'll be at 1219. Then I'll step in at 1245. We now have had a few days to kind of absorb the discussion of the new hemp growing requirements coming from the USDA. Well, I sat down with Undersecretary Ibaz. We talked a little bit more about what he's looking at from a national perspective. Now, do know he cannot comment on individual states. So this is giving kind of a national perspective of what they're seeing with hemp. And then back in at 117, I continue my conversation with Bobby Chris Wickham from the FSA as we continue that discussion about an interesting farm bill listing sessions, not really listing discussions meetings that are going to be taking place all across the state. All right. Very good. Very busy on a Tuesday. Thank you, Susan. Let it snow. There you go. Oh, man. <laughs> Don't say that. All right. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> thank you. We turn it over to Jason Jorgensen and uh, the long-awaited uh, beginning of this Nebraska basketball season is uh, right on our heels. Now, officially, the Fred Hoiberg era begins tonight. Nebraska is at home against UC Riverside. Highlanders were just 10-23 and 23 a year ago, so hopefully the Husker can get off to the good start. I don't even want to think what the mood of the state will be if they were to show up tonight and not play well or lose on the heels of uh, the football season. But Yikes. I trust the mayor. Yeah. He's brought in some dudes that can put the ball in the hoop. Now, can they rebound and play defense? That remains to be seen. Well, like you said, he's a winner, and he's got a proven track record, so let's uh, trust in him. Uh, Creighton also begins its season tonight, and you talk about getting the season off with some big games. Tonight you have top-ranked Michigan State taking on Kentucky, and then the game before that, third-ranked KU battles Duke. So those are going on in New York. Also coming up at sports, uh, we'll talk about the UNK volleyball team. They attempt to improve to 27-0 tonight. They're on the road, Fort Hayes State. Tigers have struggled this year. Match begins at 6. We'll bring it to you over on the river and also on the river app. All right. Very good. Thank you, Jason. Uh, Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan. What's going on in stocks today? Stock indexes are hovering near record levels, and investors are pausing, meanwhile, following a month-long rally. Banks and makers of consumer products were doing well in midday trading today. Bank of America rose 1.1%, and Philip Morris International climbed 1.2%. Healthcare companies were broadly lower. Medical device maker Medtronic gave up 1.7%. The U.S. trade deficit fell in September to the lowest level in five months as imports dropped more sharply than exports, and America ran a rare surplus in petroleum. Those are a few of the stories uh, making it in the business world. All right, that's all coming up. Tonight, it's UNK Volleyball as the Lopers travel the Hayes to take on Fort Hayes State, and we will bring you all of the action on 93.1 The River. 
Our coverage starts at 5.50 with first serve at 6 as the second-ranked Lopers aim to improve to 27-0 on the year. Tomorrow, it's a triple header of high school playoff football with Central Valley at Elwood at 4.30 on Camping Country Legends. Overton visits Garden County at 5 on 880-KRVN. And Burwell visits Elm Creek at 5 on 93.1 The River. And all of the games can also be heard at KRVN.com. Well, it's time for us to take a look at weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here with me. We promised uh, there would be some sun and here in Lexington, by Galley, we got some. Yes, uh, increasing amounts of sunshine of southwest Nebraska and pretty much all of northern Kansas enjoying a fair amount of cloud sunshine. But still those clouds rather persistent from yeah. about Ogallala to North Platte to Holdridge and Franklin and points towards the north and east. But as you go to the southwest of that Ogallala, North Platte, Holdridge, and Alma line, lots of sunshine across the area as the clouds continue to dissipate. It's it was sort of like the the drizzle yesterday. It just didn't. The clouds just don't quite want to go away. They want to hang in there. So, but it looks like we need to enjoy today, and because the next couple aren't going to be so nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, another cool down on the way for Wednesday and Thursday, but some warmer temperatures by the end of the week. A very up and down weather forecast. A little bit of light precipitation into eastern Nebraska. Some light rain and snow to the north of Columbus, and also from about Utica to Lincoln. Otherwise, our temperatures in the 40s this morning, most of us in the low to mid-40s. We are as warm as 47, though, at Grand Island and 48 in the Aurora area, where there's been a little bit more sunshine. Also over northern Kansas, those temperatures in the upper 40s to low 50s, much of the northeast part of Colorado in the low and mid-50s. Sunshine gradually returning across the area today. Near seasonal temperatures as a warm front tracks to the east, and we also have high pressure building up from the southwest to the northeast, clearing out the skies. Colder air will push that Colder air will be pushing south late tonight and tomorrow with another cold front. Some light rain or snow is possible tomorrow across north and west areas of Nebraska, but nothing significant. A reinforcing shot of cold air arrives with Arctic high pressure on Thursday. That will give us a quiet forecast, but also be on the chilly side. On the back side of that high pressure, as it moves up towards the east, south winds will kick in for a brief warm-up on Friday and Saturday. Saturday looks to be our warmest day of the next seven days. We've got some outdoor plans and things that you need to do. Highs in the 60s and some breezy conditions. Sunday and Veterans Day much colder with highs in the 30s. An even stronger cold front rise for Saturday night. Could see some light rain or snow with that front Saturday night through Sunday, but right now not expecting anything significant. Overall, pretty cooperative for the next several days for getting harvest done. Due to the arrival of that Strong cold front on Sunday. Today's long-term forecast is trending colder than yesterday's. Colder than normal temperatures are likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. Sunday through November 18th, especially the early part of next week for the central U.S. During that time in central Nebraska, the daytime highs usually average in a cool from the low 50s rather to the upper 40s, and average overnight lows are in the mid to upper 20s. Mainly near normal precipitation is forecast for Sunday through the 18th for Nebraska and Kansas. Key weather factors impacting market trade include a still cold temperature forecast in the central U.S. and widespread rain expected for Brazil. The next two days, precipitation mostly light and generally confined to the nation's northern and southern tiers. By Thursday, heavy rain will develop from the southern plains into the lower Ohio Valley. Another blast of cold air will arrive across the plains and Midwest by Thursday. 
expected to cover all areas east of the Rockies in the Midwest. The light precipitation in the next seven days allowing for continued progress of the much-delayed harvest. But rain in the Ohio River and Delta areas will slow down that harvest progress. Cold temperatures also keeping the progress at a slow pace. In the northern plains, light to moderate snow in the next few days will impede the harvest. Drier weather later this week will be more favorable for harvest. Temperatures will remain much colder than normal. The U.S. corn harvest at 52% and soybean harvest at 75% complete are proceeding right now at the slowest pace since 2009. In Brazil, crop areas, thunderstorms remain in the forecast throughout locations where the soil moisture supplies are already favorable for early development of row crops. Soybean planting in Brazil, slightly ahead of average right now. Okay, very good. Well, uh, lots to think about as the weather goes topsy-turvy over the next few days. Looks like those Saturday, you're saying, is going to be pretty nice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're going to get our one day of the weekend that's really nice. Uh, Sunday not looking to be that day this weekend. It will be definitely Saturday with widespread highs in the 60s. Maybe just a bit breezy, but we'll probably take it this time of year. Well, yeah, we'll take pretty much whatever <laughs> we get right now, I guess. Thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate where to go check in on your weather. KRVN.com. So how important are your county FSA elections? Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. We know that these elections are getting ready to take place, so I caught up with Bobby Chris Wickham of the FSA here in Nebraska to get her thoughts and also some deadlines that are quickly approaching. COC election uh, is, is very important because those county committees and, and each county FSA office has an elected county committee, you know, they're the on-the-ground producer connection that FSA has um, um, out there with their agricultural community. So um, I feel they're very important. And how does one go about getting those votes done? Yeah, um, so the ballots will be mailed directly to um, eligible voters in local administrative areas, which is kind of like a precinct, election precinct, um, where there is um, a seat up for election. Okay. Um, generally those seats rotate it's a three-year term and so a lot of places have anywhere from three to five members and so you may have one or two seats up for election each year so the eligible voters in those those uh, local administrative areas will receive a ballot in the mail and have to get them back into us um, by December uh, 2nd I believe is the deadline to get those ballots back in and they can either drop them off at their county office or have them postmarked by that date. So don't be worried if you didn't get a ballot, it just means there's nobody up in your area. Uh, Yes, either there's nobody up in your area or if you know that your area is an election area and you didn't get a ballot, you can stop by the county office and they'll make sure that you get a ballot. Anything else on, before we jump into some deadlines that are coming anything else on the on the meetings or on elections i think those are the two main things that i wanted to cover on those perfect let's talk about deadlines they're always out there and there's a few more that are coming up as we're already talking the month of november right um a couple of deadlines that are fast approaching i wanted to mention um fall acreage certification is november 15th um acreage certification it's a requirement to maintain eligibility for for fsa um, programs and so this is for those um, fall seeded crops and so mainly winter wheat rye and those types of crops um, fall under that fall acreage certification um, reporting deadline so is anything make an appointment to come in and get it taken care of correct Um, some of our offices do send out appointment cards so uh, folks may have already received appointment cards 
If you have not, um, please give our office a call and make an appointment and come in and get that taken care of. Next deadline that's coming up. Sure, um, the Non-Insured Crop Disaster Assistance Program, or NAP as we call it, uh, we have a deadline on November 15th for that program. So for producers that want to um, access that product, which is basically um, kind of some baseline insurance coverage for crops that uh, don't have access to commercial um, traditional uh, crop insurance. Um, they have to purchase that application ahead of the production season. And so for those that are raising alfalfa grass or mixed forages for 2020, you have to come in and get that NAP application in place ahead of uh, November 15th. Um, for folks that are going to do, and this is maybe a little bit smaller segment, but still important, for folks that are going to do like apples, roni berries, grapes, um, fall under that, there's a deadline of November 20th to come in for that NAP application period. So somebody goes to the website, can they kind of get a rundown of all the deadlines that are approaching and what paperwork and things they need to have in place before they come in the office? Yeah, if, if folks go to um, fsa.usda.gov slash ne. My conversation with Bobby Criswickham. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Well, time for us to check in on sports. Jason Jorgensen is in studio with us, and uh, the Fred Hoiberg era are getting ready to go here in Lincoln. A lot of folks excited about that, Jason. My guess is most of these seats will be filled tonight at Pinnacle Bank Arena as the Huskers take on UC Riverside. And Hoiberg says he's still looking to see how everything comes together for the Big Red. We'll get a pretty good feel for that, I would think, relatively quickly. I think we're going to have some good competitive games in our non-conference schedule. Uh, but, you know, again, for us, we need to have that one constant, which is going out and giving great effort every time we step on the floor. Of course, Hoiberg, he totally overhauled the roster after he took over, after Tim Miles was fired in the spring, although Nebraska is still predicted to finish near the bottom the Big Ten standings. UC Riverside is opening up its second season under head coach David Patrick. The Highlanders, who are picked to finish seventh in the Big West, return three starters and add several newcomers to a team that went just 10 and 23 a year ago. So this is probably a, a nice way for Hoiberg and the Huskers to open things up. A warm up for sure. But the, the Highlanders, see, I wasn't sure if they were the banana slugs, you know, because I know one of the UC teams are the banana slugs, but uh, the Highlanders, I like that. It is the Highlanders. <laughs> Tip off is set for eight. We'll have it for you tonight here on 880-KRVN. Creighton also begins its season tonight against always tough Kennesaw State. Blue Jays are coming off a 20-15 and 15 campaign. They've got some other top guys hurt. Tip off is set for eight at the CHI Health Center. And four Blue Bloods of college basketball face off tonight. How about this? This is a way to get the year started. I'm, I can't even imagine how they got these four all together. No, for sure. But uh, it'll be third-ranked Kansas taking on Duke. That's the early game tonight. The late game has top-ranked Michigan State battling second-ranked Kentucky. Wouldn't that be something if those four actually end up in the final four at the end of the year? Start and end, bookends. Yeah, they're uh, all playing tonight at the Champions Classic in New York City. The UNK volleyball team shoots for its 27th victory of the season tonight as the Lopers will be in Hayes to take on Fort Hayes State. UNK swept the Tigers earlier this season. This is kind of neat. Lopers Maddie and Anna Squires were each named MIAA Conference Players of the Week for their efforts as the Lopers down 9th-ranked Central Missouri and 14th-ranked Northwest Missouri last weekend. Tonight's match in Hayes starts at 6. We will bring it to you on 93.1 The River and on the River app. And the first college football playoff mm. rankings of the season will be released tonight 
LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Penn State, and many more will be watching closely. Hmm. Now, hmm. there's, I mean, this isn't the one that decides everything, but if you're able to set yourself pretty high and avoid some pitfalls, you have a pretty good shot of making the playoffs. LSU's had a had a nice year, surprising year for them, for sure. And I'm sure they could lose by 20 points to Alabama on Saturday, and they'll still be in the top four. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's SEC. That is a look at sports. For more, find it any time. It is time for us to take a look at the news going on around us, and uh, nobody can bring that to us, but in Austin Jacobson. Hello, Austin. Some high praise there, Scott. I appreciate that. Hey, That's it. really up in my mood today on this I, Tuesday. I was feeling good. <laughs> my lunch was good. So well, good. You know, yeah, it smells good. good. Yeah, okay. I like that. Good, good. All right, well, taking a look at news, a proposed property tax relief initiative is making the rounds of supporters hoping to gather uh, 120,000 total signatures by July of 2020. That would put it on the ballot in 2020. Renee Fry, executive director of Open Sky Policy Institute, says the potential financial impact of the ballot initiative is concerning. The general public's not going to see their property taxes go down. They're going to see their income taxes go down. So one, there's going to be a little bit of a disconnect there. But it's going to cost the state $1.5 billion to come up with that refundable income tax credit from a budget of about $4.4 billion. So about 32% of the general fund budget would need to be cut. And the general fund budget right now goes to K-12 education, higher education, health and human services, and public safety. That's 93% of the budget. So we're talking about cutting education, health and human services, or public safety. To put it another way, Fry says you could eliminate all state aid to K-12 through education and still not make up the entire $1.5 billion that would be taken. If passed, it would leave it up to the legislature to figure out what to tax instead and where to make cuts. She says the legislature would be forced to raise taxes or eliminate tax exemptions. A Lincoln woman has been accused of writing unauthorized checks on her uncle's account while he was in a nursing home. Lancaster County court records say 48-year-old Lisa Rook is charged with two felonies, theft and forgery. The records don't list the name of an attorney who could comment for her. At least three women and six children were slaughtered by cartel gunmen, and one child is still missing in northern Mexico. Relatives say the victims are U.S. citizens. U.S. Senator Ben Sass, a member of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, said drug cartels ambushed an innocent family on their way to a wedding. The hard truth here is that Mexico is dangerously close to being a failed state. And this is what happens when Mexico's politicians continue to look the other way and let the drug cartels just bribe their way to power. This is enough. Mexico's president hasn't taken the threat seriously, and innocent American lives have been lost again. Senator Sass says the Mexican government must partner with U.S. intelligence and law enforcement agencies to wage a full-scale offensive against the offenders. A Nebraska man has been cleared of murder but found guilty of conspiring to commit robbery in Hastings. Daniel Hardin was convicted Monday on the robbery charge, but a jury found him not guilty of murder and weapons charges. The Eustis Community Foundation has challenged the community to help raise money this Sunday, November 9th, at the Eustis Senior Center. The Senior Center is having their Thanksgiving meal, and every dollar raised the foundation will match. Kim Pinkerton of the Eustis Community Foundation knows the importance of the Senior Center to the community. Um, the foundation knows that the Senior Center is definitely an important part of Eustis, and we are wanting to help them as much as we can. And keep the place updated and a special place, I guess, for all the elderly and younger individuals to go 
for a meal on Sunday. And the Senior Center will also provide all of the regular Thanksgiving foods. The meal will take place on November 10th this Sunday from 11 to 1230, and it's the turkey dinner with all of the fixings. And proceeds go to support the Eustis Senior Center with upkeep and assisting the residents. And Scott, that was your look at news right there at 1230. Excellent. Thank you, sir. With the USDA announcement on hemp in the United States, folks have had a chance to kind of absorb the information. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Greg Ibaugh is Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs. He and I talked about this latest hemp announcement. So the statute that the Farm Bill, uh, that was passed in the Farm Bill, was pretty prescriptive. And uh, it lined out a lot of the pathway that USDA needed to follow as we, in AMS, wrote the the rule for uh, states to follow as well as for producers that uh, want to participate that don't have a state plan that will need to participate under a federal plan needs to follow. And so what, what we found is that we stay true to the statute. And I think uh, people have been pleased to see that what they thought should and would be in the rule actually showed up in the rule. Has it been put now in the Federal Registry? Been published as of yes. yet? Yes, it was published in the Federal Register on uh, Thursday, October 31st. And so it is effective as of that publishing. We are working with states right now to help them evaluate the rule against uh, what they had planned to use as their state plan. I anticipate some states will spend some time making sure that their state plan is in line with the rule and if they need to make any um, adjustments to their state plan, and we anticipate they will do that. And then we anticipate we'll start getting plans submitted here in the next few weeks. And uh, we are bound by the statute to provide a uh, decision on the compliance of their plan with our federal plan within 60 days. So that'll be a quick turnaround. So what you've got here really is kind of like a a box, a, a guideline, a checklist, whatever you want to call it, for the states to be able to go back and, and look at what they've kind of put together waiting for this rule to come out, this interim final rule, and to be able to move forward. So USDA AMS created a framework for states to use as the baseline for their rule. Now, states can be more uh, restrictive than the rule is with regard to where hemp is produced and the uh, nature of that hemp that's being produced, but they can't be least less restrictive. So they can't say it's uh, the law says hemp is no more than 0.3%. THC, states can't say, oh, 0.5 is okay. So they, they can be uh, more restrictive. They can't be less restrictive. What type of education is going to take place as you guys continue to move forward from a USDA standpoint all the way down to the state, um, not only the states, but the uh, tribal entities as well? Is there going to be some education with law enforcement, um, education? What can we be looking for? So we anticipate that most states and tribes that end up having plans 
will have uh, state staff or a, uh, a fee-based program that provides funding for state staff that will do most of the sampling. They'll have labs identified to do the testing. We'll work with them to help them uh, in the training. As we go through this first year, we'll help them identify the right kind of labs. Uh, we'll work with the labs if necessary for them to understand uh, the testing protocols and testing requirements. And so we're uh, uh, all ready here at USDA to do what we need to do to get people and states, producers, and regulators up to speed to be able to have a successful 2020 growing hemp under the federal regulations. As with any program that gets rolled out, um, are you guys preparing for some sort of you know, hurdles, shall we say, or, or, or drops in the program where you have to go back and kind of do some retweeting? So, of course, uh, and that's, uh, we're operating, it, it's an interim final rule. And so that means that we're, it goes into the fact the day it was posted, but we will still uh, learn from our experiences. I like to kind of coin the phrase that we're test driving the rule here the first year. We're going to take input from states. We're going to take input from producers over the course of this first year. And then we're going to make the adjustments to the rule at the end of that. Uh, there could be some places where we will uh, express some enforcement discretion if we need to. Uh, this first year until we finalize the rule, but we're very much listening and learning here in this first year. So I'm curious, what type of excitement have you seen, Greg, coming back from states now that they are able to move forward? Has there been any, any sort of interaction at this point? Uh, you know, I think that the states are just happy that we were able to get the rule uh, published here in time for them to uh, make their adjustments and to uh, give everybody time to get their licenses in place, their rules and regulations in place, and be ready for planting for the 2020 crop year. Comments with Undersecretary Greg Ibaugh. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. 12.53 here on a Tuesday afternoon. Time for us to take a look at the business world, see what's going on all over the place, and uh, like to start out in the overnights although they're getting kind of old at this point but it does really it shows the effect that they have on the u.s stock market in the asian market's pretty good the job this is i've never seen this the japanese nikkei up 400 points at nearly twenty three thousand. so huge day for the nikkei last night uh the hongs the hang sang in hong kong is up 74 Eighteen percent in or eighteen point increase in the FTSE in London and the German DAX stayed up, although not as high as yesterday. Here in the United States, still pretty good news. Uh, mostly green. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up eighty-one points, sitting at twenty-seven-five. The Nasdaq is up twelve, and the Standard Poor is the only outlier. They are down uh, just like about a half a point, a quarter of a point. Right now, Bob Rogan in here for more. Well, stocks are wavering, not wobbling today. They're wavering, which is, there's a lot of difference is that, is between those two. Is that better or worse? I don't know. Okay, all right. Just a different you know, word. You know, you have to make these words, you yeah. know, to describe things uh -huh. out there. And, okay. and by golly, I could go on Way for another go. 30 seconds, but I won't. Stocks wavering between small gains and losses as investors pause following several 
Record-setting rallies, the S&P 500 index is near the record level for Monday, its fourth all-time high in six days. The Nasdaq and the Dow Jones Industrial Average were also trading near the record highs that they set on Monday. Wall Street has been growing more optimistic as the U.S. and China appear closer to solidifying the first phase of a trade war truce. The U.S. trade deficit fell in September to the lowest level in five months as imports dropped more sharply than exports, and America ran a rare surplus in petroleum. The Commerce Department said today that the September gap between what America pays from abroad and what it sells shrank by 4.7% to $52.5 billion. U.S. employers, meanwhile, advertising few, uh, fewer open jobs in September compared with the previous month. But the number of open jobs remains high by historic standards. The Labor Department saying today that the number of available jobs fell to 7 million from 7.3 million in August. U.S. service companies grew at a faster pace in October after sinking to a three-year low in September. The Institute for Supply Management and Association of Purchasing Managers reported today that its service index grew to 54.7 last month, up from 52.6 in September. And one additional note, retail sales uh, kind of expected to be pretty good during the holiday season that's upcoming, according to the National Retail Federation. So we're looking forward to that. Won't be long now before uh, we'll hear those jingle bells and uh, those sleigh bells. Okay. I, I hope to hear them soon from you, Bob. Thank you. That's Bob Brogan. Farm Service Agency producers will have the opportunity to learn more about the FSA, its role, and the Farm Bill. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Bobby Cruz Wickham with the Nebraska State FSA office joined me to talk about these 28 meetings that start soon. And attend, a, it'll be about a three hour session at each location where we'll discuss the agris coverage and price loss coverage programs that are the main safety net. Uh, for commodity crop production uh, through the 2018 Farm Bill. So kind of you know, do a breakdown of what that meeting is going to entail and, and how long each meeting is going to last. Yeah, um, we'll spend the first part of the meeting uh, with FSA presenting on kind of the mechanics of those programs. Uh, each of those programs, what the enrollment process is going to look like, what some of the decision points are that producers will need to make. Um, and that'll probably take, you know, maybe 45 minutes or so of the meeting. Uh, maybe take a little break and then extension is going to come in and really help producers think about the analysis part of of those um, two programs so what are current market conditions and maybe predicted market conditions how those might affect a producer's decision on whether to go with ARC or PLC um, because you know they have the option of choosing uh, kind of crop by crop and farm by farm which program they want to enroll in and so there's some really important decisions that need to be made, um, you know, when before they come in and, and actually do the enrollment and election process with us. So it's great to have something like this taking place because then they can get all the information put out in front of them in black and white, and they can mm -hmm. kind of decide what's going to work best for them versus trying to do it at their scheduled time at the local yeah. FSA office. Yeah, you know, the programs themselves are not that different from 2014 Farm Bill, but. Those decision points mm -hmm. um, and the information that they'll use has changed since the last time around. Markets are different, things like that. And so 
it will influence a producer or should influence uh, them in their decision-making process. Um, the other thing that Extension will uh, review with producers at those meetings are two tools, online tools that have been made available through uh, a couple of other universities. And those tools will allow the producer to plug in certain information as well and kind of do some estimates regarding uh, potential safety net payments, uh, depending on what they might select for, for outlook and marketing prices and things like that. So with 28 meetings, you're really going to be able to hit the entire state and focus on areas where it's drivable for folks to come in and sit down for a meeting. Right. That's the idea. You know, we tried to, to do some uh, strategic location of the meeting so that nobody had to drive too far to come in and, and sit down and, and take some time with us on um, on these types of analysis. And, and as I said, I suspect that um, there'll be a few additional meetings as other county offices decide uh, to try to, to host one themselves too. So what is the time frame? that they need to get all this done in? Yeah, um, actually right now our offices are accepting um, enrollment for both 2019 and 2020 crop years uh, for ARC and PLC. Um, the enrollment deadline for the 2019 year is through the middle of, of March um, of 2020. And the enrollment deadline for the 2020 year is actually through the end of June in 2020. So th there's plenty of time, I guess. Right. There's quite a large window. And, you know, these these meetings that we're hosting, we actually strategically put them a little farther back in the season because we wanted folks to get through harvest. And that list is on our website, ruralradio.com. I'm Susan Littlefield, the World Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network, and with us is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Well, you took your cue in the wheat market today. There must have been some global demand, maybe some other factors here on why we closed higher. Yeah, I'm not, not sure if it's spreading or what, but uh, nice to see the, the, the KC market float a little higher here. We're not too far off of those kind of near-term highs uh, Although I'd, I'm skeptical to think we're going to get there, the uh, the Egyptian tender was good. It was a little bit lower than last week, but certainly supportive. Uh, and I think the markets have kind of found a level here, uh, at least on the deferred Chicago contracts that should hold. Uh, we've rallied almost a dollar, or almost a uh, three cents a bushel uh, over the last couple of weeks in the French offers, and you know we're basically right where we were in middle October. So. Um, not a whole lot of news. Uh, you know, sounds like there was some rain in in, um, in Australia. They need needing the moisture there, but uh, in my opinion, it's just spreading. I think as corn falls, you got some folks who are essentially long corn, short wheat. I think they're probably coming out of those trades. John, tell us about uh, basis levels in corn. Are they starting to see a little bit brighter future here? Well, depends on where you are. You know, if I go out east, definitely it's better. But, uh, you know, in the northwestern part of the Corn Belt, specifically like northwest Iowa, guys I talk up there, it seems to be very short. Like the market's coming out and incentivizing producers to say, hey, we'll, we'll drop uh, drying charges over the next two to three days if you can deliver. Um, and then as soon as, you know, those days pass, the market, the basis tends to drop for a little while. And I think that's um, kind of what we're going to see here. Uh, it sounds like it's been stronger in your area, and that's impressive. Um, you know, given that the ethanol margins are, are weak, um, I think a lot of that has to do with the, the springtime weather you guys faced, and that, that has to be something that's kind of, I think, been forgotten by the trade of how many bushels were lost in the flooding. This is before even the planning started, so 
Um, you're certainly in a little bit of a de deficit area as well, although the Omaha basis has backed off, uh, at least from a, where it was two weeks ago. And spot prices on soybeans, have they been on the rise in some markets? Yeah, they've been on the rise, but they're not. In, they're, we're now over Brazil, so it's a little bit of a, of a cautionary market here for me. Um, you know, yield drops. I think you know we might have to shut up the spigot to a certain degree, especially if we're going to be printing trade deals with China. But at this point, you know, until we get those deals, I think we kind of chop sideways here. But I think it's very in impressive for me. The soybean market had did not break into delivery, so broke a little bit. I think maybe ten to fifteen cents off their highs. But, um, you know, as you guys know, if you listen to me every day, delivery is usually a bearish time, and that's where grains, or specifically feed grains for those December contracts, we start in 25 days. So uh, a lot of decisions are going to be need to be made in the next three weeks. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. He also publishes a newsletter called Swine Times. This is the Rural Radio Network. That'll do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on krvn.com. Brought to you by Davini Motors. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Davini Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.